So we are continuing this morning in our series through the book of Psalms. And we have been journeying through this book since the beginning of this year in which we have been looking at and really kind of experiencing, if you will, what it means and what it looks like for us to be able to love God. And along with that, what it looks like in many ways for us to experience the emotional uh, journey that oftentimes happens throughout life. And that also happens in our relationship with God himself. And that there are times where our there are seasons in which it's just wonderful. Things are going well, and it just seems like, man, God is just, just this unbelievable, you know, just being that we get to worship and be with, and he is just phenomenal. And then there are times that we're like, God, are you still there? God, where are you? And so just kind of journeying through some of that emotional, um, you know, ups and downs, if you will, that quite frankly is a part of life. Um, if you want life to be predictable and stable, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That is not what life is like. Life is not always predictable. Life is not always stable. There are things, there are things that happen that, that oftentimes can throw us into some sort of chaotic, some sort of very, very difficult situations that we didn't plan on. I'm sure none of us woke up this morning thinking that there is something that may happen today that will just completely, by the end of the day, will totally change our life or my life. And yet that's what can happen. Life is not always predictable. And there is some angst with that, right? There are some times that we kind of struggle with that, that we think, man, I really, I really wish it was different. I really wish that life was predictable. Which is why I think sometimes when we come into this place for worship, we like to know that when we come here into this place for worship, that it is going to be somewhat similar to what we experienced the Sunday before. We're going to sing songs, we're going to hear a message, we're going to eat, drink coffee, all that kind of stuff. That in some ways, church can be a place, if you will, of refuge. That church can be a place of refuge. And I think that one of the reasons why we think that maybe a place like church can be a refuge is that it is stable. It is predictable. That all of a sudden we know what's going to happen. You know, you walk into church, my seat is going to be open. I get to sit in my seat. You know, no one's going to be there this morning in my chair. All that kind of stuff. It's fairly predictable. It is. And there is some comfort to that, isn't there? It's okay to admit. There is some comfort to that. And then there are times, and, and trust me, um, I, I've shared with you a little bit, giving you a little hints of this, but in uh, April we're going to be doing... Uh, something on the fifth Sunday that we've not done before, at least in my time of being here, in our worship experience. We tried it out in January. It was a wonderful service. Um, we had testimonies. We had extended time of, of singing. Um, it was just a really, really uh, sweet experience, if you will. In April, we're going to do something similar, except we're going to do the physical room here is going to be changed a little bit. And that may cause some of us to have some angst, Right? That may cause some of us to say, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. But let me just share with you, church, that unfortunately, stability isn't always present in churches either. It just isn't. I remember <laughs> when I was in college, and um, I was going to be in this wedding of this friend of mine, and he and his fiance took me to their church in Madison, Wisconsin. I remember this. And it was a fairly well-known church. It was a large church. It was a great worship experience. It was, a, it was a wonderful time there. And after the service, I'll never forget this. The pastor comes up after the service 
and he's got tears streaming down his, his, his face. And, and he's with his wife, which, by the way, if that happens, it's probably never a good sign. Okay? Sure enough, the pastor and his wife come up after the service, and there in front of the congregation, he announces his resignation. Boom. I remember we go back into the car. It's just silent. People are walking out of the church. They are just depressed, heads down. Everything that they had experienced in that worship service, if you can imagine, was now just completely irrelevant to now the reality is that, that their pastor, who had pastored there for many years, was resigning no notice. No notice. My friends and I, you know, that they're getting married, they were supposed to, this pastor was supposed to marry them. All that we get to the car, we get in, there's nothing but silence, and I'm a punk. <laughs> and I'm trying to lighten the mood. And I, after some series of silence, I say, well, thanks for inviting me to church. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it is sometimes. This morning, in the psalm that we're going to look at, it's going to be one of those things that, unfortunately, in life, we experience some of the unpredictability of. And one of the things that can happen when all of a sudden our lives may be thrown into chaos, thrown into turmoil, thrown into a situation we didn't count on happening, that all of a sudden now we find ourselves in, is that sometimes one of the results of that is loneliness. Loneliness. That all of a sudden we find ourselves in a situation that no one knows that either we may be going through or they may, we, we may be going through it, but no one can help us. It seems as though that people are just irrelevant or, or more than that, just unaware of the fact of what we are going through and they cannot do anything to help us through it. Loneliness is a, dare I say it, is in, in many ways a normal part of life. It happens. Loneliness is epidemic, if you will, among humans. If you've lived on this earth long enough, chances are you will have or have already experienced loneliness. And it, without dealing with that, no, there is a negative aspect that can happen to loneliness. Uh, I was just reading some statistics on this, and I'm just taking it from, from the American side here. Um, and it says this one statistic that I found, um, and I think it was done by Harvard University, so you know it has to be good, apparently, maybe. Um, 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young people and 51% of mothers with young children, feel serious loneliness. Think about that. Over a third of Americans at one time or another are going through some sort of loneliness. 61% of young adults, hear me young people, 61% of you, may have already experienced loneliness. And, and if you, if you want to know how and why, and perhaps the fact that we might be lonely, there, there is connections, I believe, between social media and loneliness. There are connections for us wanting to somehow make connections with others that we are willing to put ourselves out there, maybe even inappropriately, on social media just for someone to recognize us. For someone to say, you matter. For someone to say, I see you. 
51% of mothers with young children feel serious loneliness. It's hard being a mother at times, isn't it? It's hard being a mother. And it's hard being a mother of young children. I came from a single parent family. My mom had the responsibility of raising three children virtually on her own. And that's never easy. That's never easy. It, it, is, it is an incredibly difficult thing to have to journey through motherhood without the support and the help of a father helping you to journey and raise children. It is incredibly difficult. And I could imagine in those moments, mothers feel incredibly lonely. They do not know what it means to have meaningful connections with others in that time. That the stuff that they are going through is, is just so hard that it feels as though that, that there are others around them that just are kind of just unaware of them. It can be incredibly difficult. And I just want to say, for the single moms that may be out there, I just want to say, I'm in, I'm in awe. I am in awe. There are single fathers, too, that are raising, but it's mainly, unfortunately, if you look at the stats, the weight of it is single mothers. I'm in awe of what they can do and the sacrifices they, they make for their children. Here's another stat. According to the National Institute on Aging and health risks of prolonged isolation are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Social isolation and loneliness have been estimated to shorten a person's lifespan by as many as 15 years. One of the worst things that our prison system does to its inmates is put them in social isolation. That perhaps is probably the worst punishment we can level on a person is to keep them in social isolation, is to separate them from anyone else where the only type of interaction they may have with another person socially may be a guard coming to bring them a meal. That's it. The, 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 the impact psychologically, physically, spiritually, emotionally on people who have been socially isolated like that is incredibly devastating. Loneliness can increase depression as well as other health factors such as stroke, heart attack, mental breakdown, including a rise in dementia, suicide, and drug addiction. It is awful. Loneliness can be a terrible, terrible thing. And as I said before, I'll say it again, many, if not all of us, maybe have dealt with loneliness at some point in our lives. And you know what? There's a bit of irony in that, right? Here's the irony, is that many, if not all of us, have dealt with loneliness, and yet we still feel lonely. There is a community all around us that are dealing with loneliness, and we feel as though we are still all alone. But the good news, or perhaps even the beautiful truth, is that the Bible doesn't cover over this aspect of humanity. It doesn't ignore it. It doesn't simply you know, gloss over it. It actually deals with it head on. And one of the ways it does this is that it shares in the dynamic of stories of people that we read in the scriptures who dealt with loneliness. Many people in the, in the Bible experienced incredible loneliness. Think about Job, the suffering servant 
who, by the way, did nothing wrong. If you ever wonder why bad things happen to you, here's an answer. I don't know. Not comforting. I don't know. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And we may not fully know the reasons why those things happen, but Job was one example of a person who did nothing wrong and was part of a cosmic battle between God and the devil. And in the end, Job came out of it. But he was incredibly lonely. Think about it. He lost everyone except his wife. But you have to remember, his wife was just as much hurting as he was. Think about that. She lost all her children. She lost all of her life in that as well. Incredibly lonely. I think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, who dealt with loneliness, being in prison, being beaten, being you know, mocked, all of those things. And at times, he would have felt, I believe, incredible loneliness that there were those around him who didn't care or were unaware of what he was going through. And I love the fact that the scriptures are honest about this. That the scriptures are honest about the flaws, are honest about the uh, shortcomings, are honest about the dynamics of relationships and life in general that take place. The Bible isn't some pie-in-the-sky book. It actually deals with real things because it involves real people. And that's what I think is some of the beauty of the, of, the, of, the, of the scriptures is that all of a sudden now we can look at these people and we think, yeah, I can relate. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I think I, I, I man, this is just beautiful. So today, we are going to take a look at loneliness through the experience of David. And through this Psalm 142 that we're going to look at this morning, we'll hopefully see where we can start when we are at our end. Where we can start when we are at our end. When we are at the end of our rope, what do we do next? This morning, we'll take a look at where we can start. And by the way, let me just set expectations. This is not the answer for loneliness. This is a start, a part of the answer for loneliness. So please, what I will share with you this morning, what we will see in the scriptures, is not an A to Z cure for loneliness. It is rather a start, a beginning. It is not the end, okay? So I do not want you to, to take what was going to be shared here today and say, that's all I need to do and it will cure my loneliness. That's not true, okay? There may be other things that we may have to do to deal with loneliness, and this is a good start to helping deal with loneliness. Do you understand me? I want to manage expectations. By the way, I'm not a doctor. I have a doctoral degree, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not that kind of doctor. I love it when people say, oh, you're a doctor. Can you? Yeah, I can pray for you. Okay, I can pray for you, but I can't do anything else like that. I'm not that kind of doctor. So I just want us to understand and realize kind of in setting expectations, dealing with loneliness, because whenever we come to situations or topics like this, here's where I think in many ways, the church can fail or even, dare I say, even become a bit dangerous, is it kind of minimizes or, or kind of offers what I might call kind of shallow um, responses or cures towards things that people might try to implement and they come out of those worse off than they were in than when they started. And I, I just want to be, be very careful and be very clear that today, this is not a cure for loneliness. This is a start 
for us to deal with that loneliness, okay? So here's the question. Where do we start when we find ourselves lonely? When we find ourselves lonely? Psalm 142 gives us an answer, and it's this. We start with talking to God. We start with talking to God. Psalm 142 was written by David, and here's the context. As his enemies, specifically King Saul, is pursuing him, and by the way, King Saul at this point is his father-in-law. David had married one of Saul's daughters for slaying Goliath, and so all of a sudden now David was a trusted, at least for the most part, a trusted servant of King Saul. King Saul knew David. David knew Saul. They were close, okay? But all of a sudden Saul began to experience a bit of craziness, okay? Saul was not all there. There were glimpses of him there, but for the most part, he began to go crazy and insane. And, and, and as a result of that, he began to look at those around him, and specifically David, who, by the way, most likely at this point, had already been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Talk about a very interesting, you know, almost kind of uncomfortable dynamic, right? Can you imagine the family gatherings that that might have been like? Here you had the present king of Israel, and then you had the new king that was going to be eventually the king of Israel together at family functions. Can you imagine what that dynamic must have been like, especially since Saul's sons were not the ones to be the next king of Israel. It was going to be his son-in-law who was going to be the next king of Israel. Trust me, there was tension. Okay? Trust me, there was some angst. Trust me, things were not going as smoothly as they could have been. And yet, here's the thing. David is now on the run because Saul is trying to kill him. Understandably so. He doesn't want David to be the next king. And it brings up kind of an interesting dynamic, right? Here's the dynamic. Is that God said David is going to be the next king of Israel. Samuel, who was the last high priest, goes over and anoints David to be the next king of Israel eventually, and here's the thing, Saul will die, and what happens after Saul dies? David does become king, but he's only king over two tribes. It takes him seven years to unite the other ten for them to acknowledge David as king. Here's the point. God may call you to something God may call you to a place to serve. God may have in store for you something that he wants you to do with your life. But be careful. Do not misinterpret that calling as a right. Do not misinterpret that calling as a smooth road to all of a sudden achieving that aim. Do not interpret that. Sometimes, if not most of the time, what God calls us to, we are going to have to work hard for. I think sometimes there's this aspect that all of a sudden now, well, God has called me to it great. I'm glad God has called you to it. Hmm. You're going to have to work hard for it. I love it in, in, as part of my responsibilities with the Brethren Church. Um, I deal with some ordination stuff, okay, going through the Brethren Church. And by the way, I'll just be honest with you. In the Brethren Church, we do not have an easy ordination process. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we do not have an easy ordination process. And guess what? It shouldn't be easy. Here's the thing, and this is a dynamic. We are non-creedal. Do you know what that means? We don't have a creed. We have a statement of faith. <laughs> it's a creed. But here's what we believe in the Brethren Church, is that the pastors, those who are ordained, are the living creed of the Brethren Church. I have concerns 
when anyone specifically who comes outside of the Brethren Church and wants to be ordained, they want the fast track to ordination. They don't want to have to do all the work that is required to be ordained. They don't want to have to do all of the steps, the classes, the paperwork, the interviewing, all of that kind of stuff to be ordained. They want the fast track, and they have good reasons for it as well, right? They, have a fat, they want the fast track because I've already got the seminary degree, gotcha. I've already had the experience, gotcha. And most importantly, this is the trump card. I have been called by God to pastor that church. Oh, the calling card is the trump card. Because all of a sudden now, oh my gosh, this person is called to this ministry. If we mess up with this, are we now outside of God's will, right? Yeah, but you know what I've discovered? Great! You gotta work hard. You gotta work hard. Anytime someone wants to take the fast track, I get a little leery. By the way, here's a little advice for you. Anything that's served on a silver platter to you, don't accept it. It's never good. There's only one thing served on a silver platter, and that was John the Baptist's head, and that wasn't good. Ever. Ever. Do not accept those things easily. When we are called, that doesn't mean it's a smooth road to where God wants us to serve. Sometimes we've got to stay in there and fight and work hard to help make that possible. Are you with me? I didn't ask if you agreed with me. You can argue with me later, but are you with me? David is in the same situation. David, called by God to be the next king of Israel, the one who, who, who killed Goliath, the one whom the masses loved. They loved David. I mean, I mean, they sang songs about David. I mean, he slayed his tens of thousands. And of course, they said of Saul, he slayed his thousands. And Saul looked at David with a very, very jealous eye ever since that point. I mean, they're singing that I killed thousands, but they're singing that David has killed tens of thousands. The people love him. And yet, here we find David on the run in a cave. He's all alone. And now he's probably hungry, scared, and uncertain of his future. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. F. Scott Fitzgerald said this about loneliness. He said, the loneliest moment in someone's life is when they are watching their whole world fall apart and all they can do is stare blankly. Maybe you can relate. Your whole world is falling apart and there is nothing you can do about it. Your whole world is crumbling and there is nothing you can do except stare blankly, watch it all happen. That's probably where David is, in a cave, watching his whole world fall apart. Everything that he thought God had said was going to happen to him, he was going to be the next king, it was going to be great, the people loved him, all of those things are now seemingly gone. That's loneliness. By the way, let me just say this, there is a difference between solitude and loneliness. Solitude is something we enter into by choice. Loneliness is not. In fact, someone said this, loneliness expresses the pain of being alone and solitude expresses the glory of being alone. Okay? Solitude is not loneliness. Okay? There is a difference. So, what did David do? What did David do in the midst of finding himself all alone? His life having now fallen apart. 
Well, this is what he does. This is what Psalm 142 says. And by the way, it starts off this way. On my skill of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. On my skill is most likely a musical term. This was meant to be a song, if you will. He says this in verse 1 and 2. I cry out loud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. The very first thing that David does is he talks to God. And he says, God, I'm in trouble. God, this is where I am. I am calling out to you, and I am complaining to you about what I'm going through. And by the way, he is very detailed about all of the trouble that he's experiencing. That's where he starts to deal with his loneliness. Now, there are some people that might phrase this a little bit differently. Some people might call this a soul talk. Others might call this just talking to yourself, right? By the way, I, I read some stats on talking. You, you, you go off on all sorts of rabbit trails, by the way, when you do a lot of sermon prep, okay? This is no different. So I, I talk to myself at times. I think all of us do. And maybe there are those who hear our conversations with ourselves and wonder if we're crazy. Guess what? I've got good news for you. We're not crazy if we talk to ourselves. It's actually kind of a healthy thing if we talk to ourselves. It's okay if we talk to ourselves. It's okay to have a conversation with yourself and no one else has to be a part of it. If they happen to drop in on it or eavesdrop on that conversation, you can tell them, hey, no, 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 it's just between me and me. <laughs> okay? That's all it is. It's all it is. It's okay to talk to ourselves. Either way, what I love about this is David pours out his soul to God. Whether or not he wrote it down, whether or not he spoke it verbally, he probably did both. He didn't hold back. He absolutely started to just talk with God. Here he was at the end of his rope, and what did he do? He started talking with God. He said, God, I'm at the end of my rope. God, here's where I am. God, I am, I am upset about this. This is all the stuff I'm going through, you know, and probably just absolutely pouring his heart out to him. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. When is the last time you were raw with God? When was the last time you absolutely just said, you know what, God, I'm not going to be nice today. I've got a complaint or two. I am, I am just furious with you. I am furious at my situation. I am upset about what's going on. This is not right. I've done nothing wrong. And yet here I am all alone dealing with this life-altering event that has taken place. I'm watching my life fall apart. And now, God, why? Why? When is the last time you've had a gut, real gut, real raw prayer with God? I'll be honest with you, I struggle with it sometimes. Sometimes I think as I approach God in prayer, I've got to be holy. You know what I mean? I've got to, be, I've got to use the, the language that I think God wants me to use. I've got to say the things I think God wants me to say. Do you know what God wants me to say? He wants me to say what's on my heart because guess what? God already knows what's on my heart. I heard this one time and I thought this was a beautiful illustration. Someone wanted to come to know Jesus and the question before them was, the person who was, you know, talking to them about Jesus Christ and the person asked, hey, guess what? I smoke weed. If I come to know Jesus, am I going to have to give up weed first before I come to know Jesus? All that kind of stuff. And the person, I thought, made a great analogy or a great answer to it. He said this, do you get cleaned up before you take a shower? 
No. I tell you what, you accept Jesus. Let Jesus do the cleaning up. We don't have to get decked out and cleaned up before we can come to know Jesus. In fact, it's better if we probably don't. And let Jesus sort out the stuff you shouldn't be doing after that. And don't worry about what other people think about what you should be doing after coming to know Jesus. Does that make sense? In the same way, you know what, church? Get real with God. It's okay to scream at him. It's okay to get angry. It's okay to say, why, God? Why? It's okay to say, what are you doing here? It's okay to say, this is unfair. This is not right. It's okay. This is what I love about David. This is what I love about the Psalms. This is a relationship. A relationship, a really good part of a relationship is just being honest. And God wants us to be honest. And trust me, if you're honest with God, he will not smite you. It's probably not going to happen. Probably. I have to say that because it may. Probably. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I just leave all, all options open. No, it's, it's, it's probably not going to happen. He wants us to express to him what we're feeling, what we're going through. It's okay some days to say, God, I am not happy today. God, I am not doing well today. I am lonely today, God. How many of us, when we find ourselves lonely, turn to God? If I'm honest with myself, my answer is no. I try to do other things first, and then I think, oh, man, I, need, I just need to spend this time with God. Have I shared this with him? David immediately goes and shares himself and what he is going through with God. And by the way, he's not the only one who did this. There are other examples of people who did this in the scriptures. Jacob did this. Remember the night before he was to meet with his brother Esau. And by the way, he was freaking out because he hadn't seen his brother. And the last time he saw his brother, his brother wanted to kill him because he stole his inheritance. Okay. And all of a sudden now he wrestled with the angel all night. Do you know what that wrestling with the angel probably was? It Certainly probably was a physical event, but more than that, it was probably a wrestling of his conscience, a wrestling of screaming out and saying, God, my world is going to fall apart here. My older brother is coming, and it is not going to be good news. I am freaking out. I am all alone. By the way, he sent all his family away, and he was all alone at that point. Elijah. Elijah did a wonderful thing. My, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the prophets of Baal when Elijah shows up and, sh- and shows who God is and who, who Baal is. And by the way, Baal lost, right? Baal lost. God wins. By the way, God always wins, okay? Just FYI, God always wins. And all of a sudden now, he does this great miracle and shows that God is God. And all of a sudden, right after that, he flees because now there's a queen who wants to kill him. And he flees into the wilderness, and he's all alone. And that's where he has real good conversations, gut-wrenching, raw conversations with God. Jesus. If you don't think Jesus experienced loneliness, I encourage you to read when he was in the garden, which we are coming to on Good Friday, when he was all alone, praying. And as he was praying, tears that were like blood were dropping from his face. And he was there having this raw conversation. What I love about it is that the Gospels record this conversation. You know what the conversation was? And talk about the rawness. It it, it exposes both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. I mean, here is Jesus. He knows what's going to happen to him. He's going to get arrested. He's going to be crucified. And in that moment, all of a sudden now he says, God, if there's any way for you to take this cup of suffering away from me, please do so. I don't want to go to the cross. 
I don't want to do it. I am, I am scared out of my mind. He is honest with God. He is honest with him in that desert experience, in that garden. We need to be as well. We need to be honest with God. If we find ourselves lonely, a great place to start is to start talking with God. Start talking with God. And here's why David does it. Here's why we should start here. And the reason why is God is the one who can strengthen me. God is the one who can strengthen us. Verses 3 through 5 of this beautiful psalm says this. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. God is the one who can restore our soul. God is the one who can encourage us. God is the one who can remind us of the, who he is and the things that he has done for us. God can also remind us and give us perspective, if you will, of our loneliness and the suffering we may be experiencing. Let me just share with you three passages out of the New Testament that reaffirm this. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider, Paul writes, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Finally, Revelation 21.4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Do you know what the point of those three passages are about suffering and loneliness? This too shall pass. This too shall pass. We might find ourselves lonely, but it is not permanent. It is not permanent. David turns to God because he realizes it's God who can strengthen him. And finally, here's the other one. What should I ask when I talk to God? In addition to being raw and explaining my situation to him, what should I ask? Here's a prayer. Ask this, please, God, help me. Please, God, help me. The last two verses of this psalm says this, Listen to my cry, David writes, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. He admits, I can't survive. I'm outgunned, I'm outnumbered. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. David specifically asks for three things. Rescue me, uh, listen to me, and set me free. Basically, God, help me. Here's another way I think that David prayed this. He says this, please God, help me. Take this pain away. Please fill the loneliness with your love. Help me, God, please help me help me. I think one of the most powerful prayers that you and I can ever pray is simply, God, help me. I don't know what else to do. God, help me. I am stuck. I'm at the end of my rope. 
I need you. There is nothing more I can do. I've exhausted all my options. God, please help me. I think that's one of the most powerful prayers any one of us can pray. It's a prayer that David prayed. He didn't know it now, but we know that the end of the story is that God would answer that. As much as God seemed to be distant, as much as God seemed to be as though he was not attentive to David and what he was going through, God, God was. God would eventually restore David. David would eventually become the king of Israel. David would eventually experience the things that God said he was being called to do, but it was not without some heartache. It was not without some hard work. It was not without some angst. It was not without going through the roller coaster, the emotional journey that he went through. But I, you know what? I think that in many ways, had he not gone through that, I wonder if he would have not been as effective of a king as he was when he finally became king. I was talking with a pastor this week, and I'll end on this. And this pastor and I, um, we've known each other for a lot of years now. And he, I was just sharing with him about our journey and my journey that we've been through as a church and myself. And um, we all know it's been a few tough years, to say the least. And um, he was sharing me, with me about his journey and stuff. And then he stopped and he said, Dan, how old are you? And I said, I'm 49. For those of, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm not that old. I'm getting older, but I'm not that old. Um, he said he was meeting with the mayor of the city in which he lives in. And he said the mayor, when he met the, with the mayor, the mayor said, to him, oh, you're in your 40s, because they must have shared their ages there. And he says, ah, oh, you are now at the point of your life where you can finally be who you are and you're okay with it. thought about that for a second because he asked me when you went through all this stuff Dan how old were you I was in my 40s yeah that's about right that's about right there comes a journey that that happens I think in all of us in which we go through things that are just incredibly hard and difficult and we think in the moment that this is just not fair this is just not right but I'll tell you something coming out of that and looking back I'm a different person I'm a different person you may not see it quite yet, I see it. You may not realize it fully quite yet, but I, I, I know it. I, I think one of the things that happened with me is I became a different preacher. Things have changed in my preaching. You may not realize it, but I, I realized it. I look at scripture a little bit differently than when I looked at it prior to what I've been through. I, I, I have a better sense of who I am. And guess what, church? I'm okay with a lot of with who I am. There's some things I still need to work on. Trust me, I'm not, a, I'm not a perfect specimen before you. But man, I'm still on that journey. I, I, I'm, it's, the work is not, not complete yet, not until I'm on the other side of, earth, uh, of heaven. But it, it is, I am much different now than I was just a few years ago. Just is. And I think in many ways, some of that is because of this journey. C.S. Lewis said this, all people, whether Christians or not, must be prepared to live a life of discomfort. Let me say that again, church. All people, whether Christians or not, must be prepared to live a life of discomfort. Do you know what it means to be prepared to live a life of discomfort? 
you've got to live a life of discomfort to be, pre to be prepared to live a life of discomfort. Only way. Do you know what it means to grow in patience? You've got to be put in situations where your patience is tested so it can grow. Do you know what it means to be a person who has that gift of, of joy? You've got to be put into situations where those situations are not necessarily joyful. That's how we develop and grow. So this morning, you might find yourself here in a cave of loneliness, like David. You might be finding yourself here, and all of a sudden now, you're just kind of watching your life kind of fall apart. Maybe there was a job that you had is now gone. Maybe there was a relationship that you had and it's now gone. Maybe there is income that you once relied on and it is now gone. Maybe it's the fact that all of a sudden now you have a health issue and it just came up one day and now it's completely changed your life and now you feel completely lonely and you're in this cave. I want to encourage you this morning, if that's where you find yourself, start by talking to God about it. Share with him, honestly. Share with him. Do not hold back. One of the things I want to encourage us this morning, and I want to invite the worship team to come forward right now, is that if you are in that cave, let us pray with you. Let us at least in some way, affirm to you that you are not alone. You might feel as though you are, but you are not alone. You are not alone. And so along with the worship, I want to invite our elders and prayer team to come forward, and I would just want to encourage you all, if you happen to be in that cave this morning, let us pray with you. Let us talk with you as you talk to God. Let us do it together. And let us start the process of healing. Amen? Father, as we are here this morning, you know where we are. You know where each and every one of us find ourselves at this morning in our lives. Father, I pray that whether or not we are in a season of plenty or in a season of want, Father, that you would once more reaffirm to us that you are with us. I'm reminded, Jesus, that one of the most repeated phrases in your word is simply, and I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Jesus, I pray this morning that in some way we would be reminded, if we haven't already, that we are not alone. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.